Good day. This is... Greetings. Yeah, this is uh, the Black Pants Legion podcast. Hello, one and all out there. I, today, am drinking Campfire, I believe it's called, from High West uh, Distilling, which is an interesting, if eclectic, mix of scotch, rye whiskey, and bourbon. And Mm. it tastes a little bit like s'mores and a hangover. So this is my first drink in, God, six months. From the Corvette glass, no less. From the Corvette glass that GM sent us. Um, Very thoughtful. Very, very thoughtful of GM Legal. They were were very fun. So, um, yeah, cheers to all you out there. What is Mike drinking tonight? Um, Hello. I'm drinking... Uh, a liquid that is a dark color uh, that you can kind of see through. He's uh, drinking the same bourbon I am. It's like an amber. It's adult apple juice. Well, no, this is a little different because this is amber. Yours is like a... No, yours is amber too. I mean, it's the same, but not the same. Well, I've got the light directly. All right, over quantum mind. wavelengths, it's not the same. Okay? I understand. It is and is not whiskey <laughs> simultaneously. It is. So, I am the liquor. I am the liquor, Randers. <laughs> boy. You got to drink with the grain, not against the grain of the liquor. <laughs> so, in talking about video games as we have video games video games and uh their history and impact on the world yeah we realized that there's nothing quite as interesting as of this moment or as relevant to our current whim of video games as the fucked up and weird saga of bethesda oh yeah the weird and fucked up well okay and i have to preface this and i believe the people who are lawyers who are listening are going to start nodding and smiling where i say this is a work of research comma insight comma and our opinion yes period what we are what we are saying (laughs) past this point is a lot of opinion based on personal observation what we've been able to research and we are very very well aware and mindful of bethesda's proud history in court so we are liking very much to be mindful of that for the duration of this podcast so opinion opinion that dangerous Mm. line between fact and asshole so to start things off mike has dug up the strange and wild history of bethesda Mike is going to walk us down memory lane Ooh. and help us try to discover how in the hell did Bethesda go from darlings of the gaming world to unintentional self-parody and the greatest quote of all to sum up a man's career, quote, it just works. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> well, where would you like to start, man? You want to start us, it? Let's start let it. Let's start at the beginning. At the beginning. Uh, well, let me pull out the thing here. Um, cause my memory is, uh, all over the place. It's all right. Uh, so Bethesda started out as a company, um, mainly with, it's kind of like that backroom company. A lot of people start up in the like late eighties, early nineties. Game dev sim where you've got the right. car in the garage right. and the guy hammering away. Everybody's like, it's almost like a house slash okay. office kind of situation. Everyone's yeah. building a game. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh. Bethesda hires these guys, Ted Peterson, Julian Lefay, uh, VJ Lakshem, um, and I think 
Michael Kirk, uh, God, Michael Kirk something. Yeah, you, you you told me earlier. You keep saying his name is Michael Kirk, but you told I me. I keep that, doing Well, I'm yeah. sorry, Michael. Your name is like. Named after the greatest Starfleet captain in yeah. second grade. Michael after. Kirk's bride. Oof. Yeah, I was going to say yeah. second greatest after Horatio, but the bias. <laughs> yeah, I, I apologize. Yeah, Michael Kirk's bride um, and a couple of other people, including Todd Howard, started working on this game called arena which was the first in the elder scrolls series now there's a lot of history before that with bethesda they were a games company before these guys started working on this mm-hmm. but we're just going to go right to what everybody well, yeah knows. What, what we kind right. of feel is the genesis yeah this is our kind of view on it right um so they were tasked for with creating a game called arena and it was supposed to be this action rpg very linear style game and well, especially for that era um, yeah. For for that era, Arena was supposed to be more or less your standard sword and board right. action adventure yeah. game. And well, this is what year? This uh, I don't remember the year. Okay. I didn't. I I don't keep dates. That's, for That's fucking fun. historians are all a bunch of nerds. Anyway, uh, original. I, I will I will tell you as a historian. <laughs> I, I hate to be the well actually guy, but I'm going to agree with you. Um, one of the things we learn in sometime writing, in the like late eighties or yeah, 90s. late eighties, early nineties is in history. All you really need to know are framing dates, right? And that's that's all I wanted. And I ask so that view so that our listeners yeah. of know that, like that's what the really contemporaries are in the game market. Of at course, that time. like what else is going on in late eighties in video games? Yeah, well, right. So and like, if you're, yeah, if you're looking at the late eighties in video games, you know, Doom is years away. This is pre Doom. Mm-hmm. This is before the. There you go. See. Right. So I think Wolfenstein was still like just coming out. Wolf 3D. Um, well, yeah. And so you find that the game industry has still a lot of the older style games in it. Right. Where it's like text based games are still considered completely valid. You know, uh, Commodore 64 and other right. games are still on the market. Mouse I mean, this, look isn't really a thing well, yet. Well, no. Well, Bethesda tasked these fine gentlemen with creating a, uh, well, they originally planned it to be some sort of linear adventure uh, with, like, side quests and you fight Jagar Tharn at the end of in the arena because it's right. like a gladiatorial thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, you know, you get, it's like a basic, combat RPG gain some experience and whatever well they just kept making the game because they were a big fan of tabletop RPGs mm-hmm. right um, that's one thing I think is really interesting that shines through because we played Fallout on the courtesy flesh last mm-hmm. night then we did yeah. and I noticed you guys were like wrapped with attention because yeah. the thing is I trying to point out the guys who built Fallout had a lot of experience with tabletop mm-hmm. and it shows with how they built the game the special system everything else it's tuned GURPS more we or can, less we can segue back into that here in a minute let's, of let, course. let's let Mike give his history oh no oh no he's he's right that the the thing is with a lot of these developers they were all tabletop well most of them were tabletop gamers mm-hmm. and that's where so, they borrowed from um, right one of the things that they they wanted to do was uh, they wanted to make a game that was very much like the adventures they had, and they were very much inspired by Dungeons and Dragons and old gold box games. Right. Um, and then they, um, when they were doing Arena, they were tasked to have it released by December of whichever year it was supposed to be released. Right. And big release season. Yeah. And 
they didn't they finished it in March, which is the dead zone back then for video Ooh, games because ouch. you gotta think we have tons of advertising. You can go to Steam and all this sort of stuff. Back then you had to get a magazine and hope that your game was listed in it. Mm-hmm. Well, right. You had to take out print ads. Yes. Yep. And hope that you lined up with what your print ads promised. And they probably had already paid for all of that before yeah. Christmas. So they had all these Christmas ads for Arena probably sitting around somewhere. Yeah. That's just my you know, interpretation of that. Probably. Um, and they only had two beta testers for Arena, one of them being Todd Howard mm. at the time. Uh, at least that's based on the information I was able to gather. That might be... A lot of this information that I was able to gather was very much clouded in obfuscation and we'll get to that later that's indeed it's going to be very important later. potentially apocryphal and or anecdotal well yeah one of the things we'll get into is information sources and trying to piece this stuff together right especially in an internet age where everyone has an anecdote right mm-hmm. the wayback machine can only do so much guys right um so they completed arena and they were really surprised by how successful it was despite it you know, being released in March, which is, you know, at that time, a dead zone for video games. And they were just like, you know, we're going to make another one. We, You guys made this big, expansive world. Everyone was really excited, to, not just to go and fight Jagar Tharn, which is the part of the end of the game, mm-hmm. but to do the side quests. In Explorer. Yeah. 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 Because it was the entirety of Tamriel. This wasn't just a dungeon in Cyrodiil. They were, they put all of Tamriel in this game. You can go to Black Marsh. You can go to any of these other places. Right. You see that mountain? You can go to that mountain. Oh, um, God. <laughs> You can do it, yeah. Jesus. It just works. Yeah. So uh, they create this game, and Arena is, you know, semi-successful. I did not pull up sales numbers because I don't give a shit, but... (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. Yeah, they... they, they, uh, Money was made. (laughs) Well, it really, what it... The most important thing isn't the sales, but that it opened up the door for Daggerfall. Indeed. Which is the game that kind of lit the match. This game was the spark. The uh, Daggerfall was the match head. Um, what they were going to go for was more of a D&D inspired game with Daggerfall. Mm-hmm. I think that uh, based on what I was reading in Ted Peterson's interviews that he had had over the years, he got a lot of inspirations from Dungeons and Dragons and Vampire the Masquerade, which was very mm-hmm. evident in Daggerfall. Like a lot of the themes, like the different vampire cults and all that stuff that was in Daggerfall, they just really like tabletop. So they wanted to bring that to oh, a yeah. video it, game. It shows in what, I mean, I've barely touched Daggerfall. Fall, but I, I watched your playthrough of it so far. Yeah, and, and the thing is, is even watching someone play this game, you're very much aware of the open-ended nature of the game. Mm-hmm. You're just like, I can go here and do this. I can go here and do that. And the world plays out as it plays out. I'm gonna steal some horses. Yeah, in my inventory, just carry them around in my bag. Don't know what you're talking about. Anyway, <laughs> you know, um, his fireball did nothing wrong. Exactly. But, you heard it from Tex, yeah. so you already know. Um, anyway, <laughs> but that was such a weird departure from any game I can think of from that era, because so, in that, yeah. even in that era, I remember reading PC Gamer as a kid. Mm-hmm. And it was all about cutting edge graphics and their sound design and blah, blah, blah. Right. And I and remember. Yeah, go ahead. That's kind of the distinction I wanted to make to the audience is that like a huge open world game like that, like this is probably the first of its kind. Mm hmm. In that, you know, here's a map of an entire world. Yeah. You know, if you show that to a D&D player and you, you give them a map of uh, 
what's what's the mortal realm called again? Oh, Forgotten Realms uh, for the most part. Or Abertorel. Yes. If you're talking about the whole area of Forgotten Realms. If you if you show them that map and you were like, hey, here's a video game, you can go to any place in here and it's uh, there's going to be stuff to do. They'd, they, they, I think their head might melt. Yeah, and only a few games in the 80s did that. Um, I think Elite uh, was a game oh, that had yeah. a huge universe so you could explore. And, yeah. yeah, but here's what I'm going to say is as a... As an enthusiast of flight and space flight games, mm-hmm. I would like to point out that Elite and Elite Dangerous are not, I don't think it's as difficult to make a huge, quote, expansive universe, unquote, Correct. In, in Elite, because yeah. you're literally going from one station to one station, and they all have, you know, basically it's different commodity prices, different enemies, same Starfield. Right. So you don't have to create really any memorable characters. You're just jumping around different points. Yeah. In the, what in the what marble do you want to fight pirates around? Exactly. If yeah. there's any marble at all. And Arena had more or less the same, but with better dressing. Right. And yeah. That was the thing I really liked watching you play. That was Arena. Daggerfall. Well, I'm, I'm yeah. just going to say about Daggerfall, same sort of themes carry over. Right. In terms of open-ended gameplay, where... You're just like, I'm going to go over here and do this. Mm-hmm. And it's not, I'm moving to plot points. It's, oh, I'm going to follow this quest, and this leads to here, and this leads to here. And you just kind of naturally follow the world. Yeah. You're, whatever the world provides. You have to live in the world. That was right. The idea is that your character needs to make friends. You need to become known, because why the fuck would these nobles talk to you? Well, that's yeah. the thing that I find interesting about that game, is it's not like you're destined for greatness. It's no. not like you have a magic ability or some supernatural place in the world. It's You're um, an agent of the Emperor sent to do a fucking simple task. Not a good one. No. Because I mean, yeah. you like start off in the cave. A very like, suspect letter. He's like, oh, if you can find a letter and not tell anybody about it uh, that I sent I, to the I Queen really of Daggerfall. I really appreciate, yeah, you not telling people about mm. my fuck books. Uh, yeah. <laughs> pretty please. Um, so they were going for a D&D and Vampire the Masquerade style world where they had all these different themes kind of taken from it. And that's, you know, when you make something, you're going to be taking from different inspirations anywhere. Yeah. And they wanted to basically take, instead of making Tamriel, which had, you know, very generic kind of towns that they can visit in Arena, mm-hmm. um, they were like, let's make it smaller and focus it on Iliac Bay, which is three countries, basically. It's, it's huge still. Yes. And especially for the era. And they, 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 with that little small amount of focus, they were able to make Daggerfall the way they wanted it to. Um, and the big jump that they had from uh, Daggerfall and Arena was that they introduced uh, something very familiar to anybody who has GURPS is uh, the uh, character's level doesn't level up because you killed like three monsters. You level up when your skills go up, when you practice. Right. Um, they didn't do that in Arena. That was, I think it was still an XP system. I might be wrong on that, but I think it was still an XP system. Well, in, in any game that's the first in its series, you'll find massive divergences like we were talking about with uh, Mass Effect. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, just yesterday when we were talking about how Mass Effect from one to two to three. They, right. They have some really cool ideas. And then there's just going to be the what can we do to turn it up to 11? Yeah. In this case, it sounds like they made the right choice. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They were able to focus in on a smaller part and do a lot more work on stuff. Yeah. And I'm building this. At, and everybody's wondering why I'm telling this. I'm building you a profile of people who really fucking cared. 
Well, yeah. Because and, and, you're going to see, and you guys already know what happens in the later games, but you're going to see, like, these guys really went crazy. So I'm giving you the details for these games so we can better contrast it. So, like, they had a lot of unused ideas for Daggerfall where they right. were going to have, like, whole city sieges and, like... Yeah. Uh, like you had like they already have a bit of the relationship system in the game but it was going to be way more expansive mm-hmm. so you actually had to make friends with certain people or you know you make friends with a person being your quest giver mm-hmm. he's like your fi- you know how you got your Johnson and Shadowrun or whatever yeah. you would you would make friends with them they would just be a con- they wouldn't just be some contact to give you money whenever you needed you can make friends with them and it could take you into different circles in the game it was supposed to be bigger than what it was even though the game is about a size of Great Britain um, so it's it, they wanted to go deeper than just a map size they wanted to mm-hmm. go into a system that was a little so they, more they wanted to do you know we're starting to get into like the dwarf fortress of rpgs right just like yes. layers and layers they were down. they were peeking into that yeah just just barely but they released the game and the game was very buggy on release it mm. was rushed out the door um near the end of it and uh the problem with daggerfall was while it was despite it being a very good game and having all this uh accolade behind it diablo came out Ooh. Diablo changed the landscape Ooh. of RPGs um, right. and then, from that point on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And I think with how successful Diablo was, there entered into the gamer lexicon a new team or mm-hmm. a uh, new theme showed up, and that was Diablo clone. Right. Yes. And that's the action the, RPG. Well, right. And that's the thing is not only action RPG, but so successful, it has to be cloned. For mm-hmm. years, it's much the same way where you see Doom clone becoming. Yeah, yeah, it's it, it becomes its own genre after a while. The isometric RPG genre is huge because right. of Diablo. Right. I mean, there were there might have been other games that have come out in the earlier days when they had like it wasn't the first isometric game. It was the most successful one, and like, I, that I, changed everything. I absolutely agree with that. So and Daggerfall got kind of lost. But I feel kind of strangely that with as much love and care that was put into Daggerfall and attention to detail with mm-hmm. choosing your own path and mm-hmm. what have you, being a radical divergence from everything else at the time, you start to see kind of a shift in Bethesda post-Daggerfall because it becomes a Diablo world. It becomes, how do we become as successful as Blizzard rather than how do we build the game we want to play? Well, the biggest pivot point for Bethesda was that Zenimax came into the picture and mm-hmm. Bethesda became an LLC, mm. which is around the time Morrowind started to come out. Now, post Daggerfall, they created they were creating a game already in the middle of Daggerfall for Morrowind. They already had Morrowind in mind. They mm-hmm. were working on a tower. Everybody was working on a game. That ended up becoming Battlespire and Redguard. Mm. Those are the two games that are, they're more like Hexen or Doom style games. They're not yeah. great uh, games in my opinion, but they're different. They have their fan bases and, well, you know, and if you enjoy it, that's great. I just couldn't get into right. it, man. And I noticed they're different because it was, okay, this didn't sell as much as we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So they're like, what about a game that's kind of more action adventure How is that? Yeah, let's try and take the, the IP and put it in a different 
Correct. Yeah. And I, I personally think that Diablo had a huge influence on Battlespire and the direction of Redguard because they were like, well, what if we took our engine and did what Diablo did? Make it a dungeon diver where people fight monsters and get the experience points and all the items and stuff. And they just did it with the Daggerfall engine. Mm-hmm. Right. Which, if you've ever seen the original Daggerfall engine, is the sloppiest, weirdest. It's, it's not optimal. For yeah, that. not now. And, and, I mean, Daggerfall Unity did a great job, but they had to recreate the fucking engine because mm. it was it's just not an easy thing to work with. It's very right. unwieldy. But it also shows how useful Unity can be in the right hands. Yeah. Exactly. So eventually they ended up making or started working on Morrowind. And that's when the company made that change that everybody is so like, when did that kind of happen? And I think it happened when Zenimax entered the picture mm-hmm. because that's around the time Daggerfall started or Morrowind started to come out. Um, and they wanted to refocus everything and make it like, okay, we're going to focus detail on this one island. It's not even all of Morrowind. It's just Vardenfell. Mar- Morrowind's huger than that. Well, right. Oh, yeah. For huger, sure. bigger, bigger, more, more bigger, big, huger, M- bigger, huger, more larger. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it's a much Ricky bigger Sons. area, but they were like, let's focus on Vardenfail. Well, and right. they mm. had a chance to build a game that was very, like, very in depth. Well, I, I also realized that with Morrowind, it was the first time in an Elder Scrolls game where I felt that they were trying to make a smaller, tighter game with more effects it was that more style added into the game in terms of you know magic systems that aren't just like animation explosion damage applied but like wow this looks different this sounds different absolutely um so it was basically like they wanted to create this smaller and more compact world which you know as we all know with the way everything's have way things have changed in the gaming industry that becomes kind of a red flag for us now back then that seemed like oh that was a very reasonable choice because then they could focus on the little things well i I think that that was a smart design choice because it allows them to make like you concentrate your effort and you make things more meaningful you so it's you can you have that opportunity because you look at I'm going to pull Ubisoft in for a comparison as as Mm -hmm. an opinion comparison. Um, You look at, you look at the first and the second Assassin's Creed, Uh you know, focused tight stories going in a certain direction. You get to uh, Assassin's Creed three, you know, questions about the writing. Maybe it's a good story. Maybe it's not. That's a matter of opinion, but it's still, you know, semi-linear, a little more open, but you've, you've got a direction. It's, all of these games have well-defined map areas. And then you start getting into Assassin's Creed Origin and Assassin's Creed um, what, what was uh, the Black one, Flag. What was the one that was set in the Revolutionary War? That was three. Okay. And then you get Assassin's Creed Four, which is Black Flag, which is more open. It's bigger. And there's still a lot to do. There's still a lot of character. I think Four was the highlight of the series because it maintains that kind of focus. There's always something to do. There's not like, you know, it's not, um, oh, the map is 54 kilometers because we can make it 54 kilometers. And so it doesn't right. matter what's in it. It's just big and you should like that. There's stuff to do. Then you get into Origins and Odyssey, which are just huge for the sake of being huge. And you spend more time going to the things that are interesting than you do actually doing interesting things. That was the issue I had with like The Witcher 3 is, right. is it was... It's beautiful. I feel like I'm like riding around through paintings. Mm-hmm. But, but it, you spend a lot of time just going from point A to point B to find the thing. Yeah. And and I think that 
Morrowind captured that kind of like Assassin's Creed 4 stage of it's a big fucking map. There is a lot of shit in Morrowind, well, but it's also focused and there's anywhere you go, there's something to do at some stage of the game. I will say that Morrowind itself in Vardenfell, it's not actually a very big area. It just takes a long time to get anywhere because they remove the fast travel system because mm. uh, I think it was Michael Kirk Kirk Sprite, I keep getting his name. Michael Kirksbride was trying to uh, explain how he put they were wanting stolt striders in the game. You'd go up to a guy and talk mm-hmm. to him, and he'll take like a taxi, take you where you go on the island. And a lot of people were like torn at the time mm-hmm. if it was a good system because like I spend so much time walking and doing this, and people are so used to just instantly going somewhere. Right. You'll see in the later games that just sort of remove that completely because they're like, no, give people what they want now. Um, so Marwin feels a lot bigger because you have to actually take your time to go somewhere. It's kind of like you don't really appreciate where you're at in your neighborhood until you have to ride a bike somewhere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And That's then you true. start to notice things around you a lot more and you're like, wow, my neighborhood is much bigger than I thought. Well, yeah, yeah it's it's yeah. like, um, especially with being inside and COVID and what have you, I occasionally go on walks. And yeah. And when I walk around the neighborhood just to get outside, I was like, you know, when you drive in your car. Mm-hmm. The neighborhood feels like it's oh pretty, yeah feels pretty small yeah it's two minutes to the store two minutes yeah. back yeah. but when you walk around on foot you're like wow this is like a mile yeah and i know that everybody wants to you know put the blame all of it on todd howard because he's the front man that's unfair it, I, I agree it's I also agree. it is that is also his job to it's be fair easy. that is his job to take the blame when because he's the director yeah. well. now keep in mind when things go great he takes Everybody thinks he made the whole thing. Well, of course. Right. Now, Todd Howard directed Morrowind. He did not design Morrowind. That was actually done by Ken Rolston. Here's my question, though. As many games as I've played, Mm -hmm. what the fuck does a game have to do with a director? Because the writer's right. Okay. Yeah. There's a sound guy, a composer, in many cases. Well, the director is basically the guy who in a game sense, it has to listen to whoever's paying for it, the producers. Perhaps, because Perhaps the, PM. Yeah, Program project manager. manager yeah. Would be a yeah. better so, title. So, so like, they because they'll handle everything across the project, whereas the designer handles the game itself. Right. So uh, the yeah. director's like, uh, you know. with sound design, level design, all of those the, the guys are doing marketing, like yeah, everything. Yeah, yeah. He's sitting in on board meetings that nobody else would have to sit in on. So he's like the corporate stooge part of it. Yes, he's the guy who comes down from corporate and goes, get your asses back to fucking work. We okay. have to make a game that now fits on a mobile device. Which is kind of weird. Because yeah. <laughs> um, thanks to a wonderful YouTuber by the name of Civi11. Um, mm-hmm. Who did a lot of wonderful, uh, what a lot of wonderful uh, video footage about early Bethesda and Zenimax titles, uh, Terminator, yeah, early Terminator games. Todd Howard was like programmer, and he was doing all sorts of amazing stuff in that. Yeah, but Todd Howard he, has a lot of development chops. Exactly, he's been working on these games since Arena. Right, and I know it's very easy to say "fuck you, Todd Howard," but I think in all reality. When you're the front man for anything, it's like uh, Peter Molyneux. Yeah. Where Peter Molyneux has just become this kind of forgotten watchword of crazy person in the game industry. But people forget, you know, he once worked on, you know, Bullfrog's great titles, Dungeon Keeper, and <coughs> Theme Hospital, mm-hmm. and Syndicate, and all of these wonderful, wonderful fucking game titles. 
just by chance, you know, a company folds or things become less successful, even though he's that front man and is making all those promises without the talent to back up his promises. He just becomes known as this liar. Right. But in reality, I think that's not truly the case. I, I think I think he's a little bit of a different case because he's gone out of his way to um, reassert that creative authority and that creative control. And he has habitually described products he was incapable of delivering. That's what I mean is. And I, but I think that's I think anyone that's in that position, in that would position that, that yeah. goes out and does that. Because, I mean, look at. Are you ready to burn this podcast down? You ready to do it? You ready to set this bitch on fire? Look at Star Citizen. You have a guy who has tremendous development chops. Wing Commander is and, a... And all the money known to God. Yeah. I mean, Wing Commander is a foundational experience yes. in combat simulators. Not only that. Flight flight, or, or space combat, whichever. Name me a good space combat simulator. Other than Wing Commander. The only one that comes to mind is Freelancer. And he had a hand in that. Exactly. So it's it's, it's one so, of those things. I mean, it's, yeah. if he, he's the guy you go to if, if you want a good space sim. Right. But when you take a guy who's got those development chops, who keeps thinking like, oh, I could do this, well, I could do this. he's a creative, and creatives do that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And you give them unlimited funds, the project doesn't, you know, it, it doesn't do anything but get bigger. Right. So I, I think it's... I think it's fair to hold those people accountable for what they do, but I also think it's unfair to do that without understanding like what their motives are and, well, and where they come yeah. from. Because yeah. I don't think Peter Molyneux is a bad guy. No, I, I think he's still. I feel thinking, really bad for him. I do too. I, you know what? If if he had the studio he wanted to have to make Goddess, which Goddess is a game of his that just absolutely blew up, I'd be playing Goddess right now. Because if he delivered the game he described, it would be fucking great. And I like God games. Right. And, and I, I have Peter Molyneux to thank for that. And I think every game studio needs that sort of creative guy yes. who right. can be the dreamer to go. Well, you got to have someone pushing you to do something creative and new and exciting. We need a guy in an office who can sit there all day and go, wouldn't it be fun if blah? Yeah. Because otherwise it's... It's going to be an EA product where it's just exactly. like, well, let's just uh, photocopy this movie here. Well, let's just take well, Mercenaries, which was a successful game, oh and just sponge God. all the fun right out of it and put it back on the shelves. Exactly. Yeah. Fucking twats. Wow. What God, if we added a two people. to the title, but removed the fun? Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> that's, the, that's the cost of sequels, I suppose. Um, Sequelitis. Drink this beer real quick. Um, so... Uh, Todd Howard is the director of Morrowind, yes. but the uh, de the designer is Ken Rolston, who wrote a lot of supplements for Paranoia. Uh, I you know, know him well. Um, Warhammer Fantasy AD&D. Yep. He also wrote Paranoia 2nd Edition. He was a really interesting guy who dreamed up really fun systems for RPGs. Yes. And you'll find in the 80s and 90s, there were a lot of people out there who did that. They would come into RPGs and they would be like a hired gun. For it be like, I don't know how to do magic. And this guy's like, I'm a real fucking wizard. And then comes <laughs> in and shows you how to do shit. Um, right. So they're like crunch mechanics. Mm -hmm. But also, a lot of them, believe it or not, are like hired guns for writing, for lore. Interesting. You know, like Andy Chambers yeah. was. Mm -hmm. and, and that's that's mm -hmm, where you mm -hmm. get these guys who come in and help you, you know, put the frosting on the cake, so to speak. Well, and, right. and it's funny you brought that up because he also created a uh, manuscript for a magic system in Warhammer Fantasy. Huh. And Games Workshop said, fuck you. 
Well, uh, it's, okay. it well. almost sounds like, never mind, we've done this before. Yes, <laughs> they, they were like, no. And Everybody the, fill no, in your nope. games workshop card on if, bingo. If I didn't you want, say it. I didn't say it this time. <laughs> yeah, uh, the manuscript is out there if you're interested in seeing this. It's out there on the internet somewhere. There's a PDF somewhere where Ken Rolston had made this whole manuscript for it. So go look for it if you're interested. Um, but Ken Rolston also went on to be the lead designer of Oblivion, which is why it seems familiar. I mean, that makes sense. You want to continue keeping your guys on as, you know, they've done a successful thing with Morrowind. So they think that's going to make another great game. Yeah. And I, I feel yeah. if if Morrowind was a little different, I, I really feel you see the new Bethesda with Oblivion, like fully and totally. Yeah. And oblivion is where the bethesda isms start to really leak yeah. what re- what i recall from <laughs> when when morrowind first came out um and here's an embarrassing fact i have never beaten morrowind because i had a really shit computer when it came out yeah so did i and i got three quarters through it and that computer died and oh. then i later got it on xbox the xbox port which was like not good no. oh man and i got halfway through that and then that Xbox bricked, so I called it the cursed game and never went back to it. I, I will say this. Morrowind is probably the most challenging RPG I've played to date. I had to get a strategy guide to complete that game. And that's because it is yeah. it's tough. You had it that was that was near the end of the notepad at your desktop era yes. where you had to write down yeah. things and take notes on stuff. People don't want to do that anymore. Well, it was, and it I was mean, right like, before the min-max era. They had yeah. a journal here's in the how game. to optimally break the game. Yeah. Or here's how to speed run the game. Mm-hmm. It was that last era of, hey, um, this is calculus and you need a study guide. Yeah. Yes. Well, I mean, it was uh, even even with the study uh, with the strategy guide. I mean, there were certain like finding certain things. Uh, the cave of the Azura's cave or the cave of the Nerevar or whatever it was. Like, yeah. Oh, yeah. I spent probably and I was in high school when I played it. I, I spent a night. I spent a school night after homework trying to find that fucking thing. Yeah. It took forever. But I mean, the sense of reward when you finally get there and do it is, is amazing. Is yeah. much greater. But um, I, well, in what I remember of Oblivion was it was hyped to shit, and then I remember when it came out, randomly being accosted by guards, and it would do the zoom into their face real yeah. quick. Stop right there, criminal scum. Yeah, and then halt, citizen. And it, then I remember one time while the guard was talking to me. He started spinning in his saddle <laughs> while yelling at me. Yes. And I've like had that ro- happen. rotating like a clock. <laughs> and then I remember another, an- I mean, God, this was fucking crazy. Um, I remember another time I was running through the woods, uh, just running to a new town. And um, I heard this like howling. And I was like, oh my God, I'm being chased by wolves. This is too fucking cool. Mm-hmm. I looked behind me. And it's a horse. Wolf horse. Acting with the wolf AI. The werewolf. <laughs> yeah, but imagine a horse getting really down low and snarling and shaking its head <laughs> and then chasing me. So I got up on a rock and was shooting arrows at this horse acting like a wolf. And I thought, you know, in my head, because I'm used to D&D and weird, mm-hmm. you go, Oh, and a spell was put on. No, it's just retarded. Then I, I got a horse and tried to ride it, and it 
slunk down to the ground like a wolf. So I was riding like wolf horse. <laughs> and I was like, Quality. yeah. And, and so I just Quality really, and, and like just later that month, they were like, hey, you like this game, right? And I was like, it's kind of fucked up. And they were like, well, why don't you buy this horse armor? <laughs> yeah. The paid, start of DLC. Paid the beginning. Mod. Paid mod. Yeah. Not really a DLC. No, just it's, paid it's weird mod. Yeah, though. because it was just it was just a modification of a graphic. It wasn't really like horse barding. It yeah. Was, it was like five, six bucks. So they This is where we start. I just want to interject. This is where we start in the time honored tradition of saying it just works. It just works. <laughs> and that was yeah. well, that was the issue is I remember when Morrowind getting to another town and doing stuff was like an achievement. It was like you survived. You you survived. You had to it. walk a really long ways. At mm-hmm. least it felt like that. You have to sprint. You had to walk like a grandma. Yeah. And, and unless you, you were, unless you did what I did and you got a uh, a ring of hundred percent magic resist. Or was it curse resist or something like that? Yeah, it was like 100% curse resist. And then you get the boots of blinding speed. Mm. And because you have the resist curse, you are not blinded. So you get to walk really fast. The con is you have light armor feet for the whole game. But my, my favorite just was... Just don't step on your feet. Yeah. No, yeah. My, my favorite was to walk into a town and then go, hey, I need to get to the other town quick. And I'm tired of this slow walking and cliff racers and everything making that horrible Fuck fucking noise. Yeah. So I would go and find whatever dealer I could and just mainline skooma until <laughs> the game started stuttering. And I would just hint forward until my computer like lost its frame rate. <laughs> and then I would lay off. And yeah. When you did that, you would end up like half the continent away. Yeah. You'd Jesus. be in the ocean somewhere. Yeah. Uh, they'd brought on for Oblivion, they'd brought back Ted Peterson and Mike Kirksbride to write um, more stuff for Oblivion. And again, it was a much smaller game in scope, and they were trying to make it. Mm-hmm. Um, Todd Howard uh, has a lot of quotes. Um, he's a lot of focal point for the issues of the series um, because he made a quote about Oblivion. He said, we want to return to the uh to arena and daggerfall but have a uh but we have to sacrifice the wonder of discovery which Oof. is which is what he was saying we need to step away from the unfamiliar and alienness of morrowind which was an original concept when you think about it after you leave that building in the beginning of morrowind and you step outside it becomes louisiana but like way more fucked up it's yeah. just so weird oh, it's, yeah. it's like a star trek alien planet oh yeah it, it, it feels so bizarre once you get off that first little town with yeah the first few things to do dude's exactly. riding a giant fucking sand Sil- even, Strider. even, the, here. even yeah. the town you go to the main town i think it was sentinel was the first town you go to i, I haven't played uh, it in a while balmora balmora yep first town you go to and it's just like trying to find where people live where the fucking emperor's agent is he's just like in a little fucking janitor's closet fucking shirtless drug addict that i imagine is just sweating constantly yeah you find mr Leahy uh sitting in balmore (laughs) yeah pretty much kill these rats in my basement he's like julian this is a shit there's a shit wind (laughs) the shit winds are blowing the shit barometers (laughs) are dropping randers who's this dagothur guy well let me tell you something when you have a Two shit plates. <laughs> <laughs> that's great. Um, so well, yeah, and, and and that's the thing is I, yeah. I agree with you. It turns the idea of living is that turning point. Yeah, of a vast open world 
into more just kind of action-driven nonsense. And well, they well his idea, and it's not wrong. It was just poorly said where he just goes we have to sacrifice the wonder of discovery in other words you could have just said Todd, also, the reason i like this game you're giving away we okay. we wanted to we wanted to uh, uh instead of saying anything you should have just said nothing he wanted to have i don't know why he wanted to say something very profound in that moment but it just seems like a poor way of saying we thought Morrowind was weird and i didn't like how people were scared of how weird it was so we're gonna bring it back well and here's the thing i've learned is and and to finish the quote, he says he wants people to live another life in another world, to give people the familiar without the mm. alien world of Morrowind. Well, fuck you. And because here's, yeah, here's I quite like Morrowind. What he was trying to say is we want to bring it back to generic D&D fantasy that's familiar because people will more people will buy familiar than they will buy the alienness of Morrowind. Morrowind sold itself on the laurels of its success, but it was only because I think the marketing was on point for it. They mm-hmm. had it over every publication. Mm. If they were going to do it again and to bring in more people instead of just the same, you know, whoever, how many other people bought it, mm-hmm. they had to go back to the to the uh, Dungeons and Dragons era of ye old town with castle. And I get Cyrodiil's a very not traditionally looking place, but it Mm -hmm. was familiar enough that people who played it go, oh, those are horse stables. Oh, that's a tavern and that's an inn. Oh, these are bandits. And Morrowind was like, there's a giant fucking mushroom. Can I do anything with it? What the fuck is that? Well, you can smoke it. Um, Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought it was cool. I thought it was cool. It's different. Yeah. Because it makes you explore. Why is the world like this? And I'm not saying that I'm a big fan of Morrowind or anything. I thought Morrowind was a good game. I just, it's not my favorite one in the series. I think my favorite one in the series is always going to be Daggerfall because I like the uh, openness of Daggerfall. I liked Oblivion too, to a point. I liked Oblivion to a point, but it's. It was a good mod mod platform. Same with Morrowind. Morrowind was actually the first in the series to have a creation kit. Right. Hmm. So it opened the door for a lot of people who were very creative minded. The early 2000s were great for that. You had the Unreal Editor, Roller Coaster Tycoon. Oh, uh, yes. You had um, all these other games kind of doing a. Uh, open creator even arcanum had one like everybody a little bit it had, it had a um, world creator but not like a game mod system mm-hmm. it, yeah you could create a world in arcanum yes and that was really cool because some people did so they wanted to continue what they were doing with oblivion into skyrim but they wanted to mix a bit of the weirdness of morrowind with the familiar of oblivion so if you imagine skyrim in how you explored it. There is that weirdness to it in certain areas, but the familiar of yield town with horse guy, cart and blacksmith and knife guy and guy well, saying, have you been to the cloud district? Very often. Of course you have. Well, yeah, they call that radiant AI and it's total <laughs> bullshit. They tried that in, Mar- in Oblivion. Yeah. Well, in the issue I have with radiant AI, the thing that really blows my mind is they say, oh, it, it provides people things to do. And I'm like, not really. Because you Does see the same though? five conversations and the same five actions play out. It's like watching a cuckoo clock. Well, the, the, the original bird. intent was way different from the execution. Well, yeah. That's of generally Bethesda to a T. <laughs> the original idea was different to the execution. Womp womp. And one of the ways I can see the cheapness of it 
is look at what I like to call the meme of, quote, Bethesda face, end quote. Mm. When you run into people and you're like, what kind of fucking monster are you? Yeah, their faces are no. I oblivion specifically. Simple is better. Simple is better. They wanted everyone's faces to be round. Like extra round, like tomato round. round. Yeah. yeah. It was weird. In uh, a world where men mutated from turnips. And you know what people complained about about that game? Do you remember what people complained about Oblivion? I remember a lot of complaints, but one of the ones that actually stands out to me is they said you blew all your voice actor budget on yes. one guy and you have Patrick Stewart for like eight minutes and the rest Oof. is three voices for the whole game. Well, Patrick Stewart... Patrick Stewart yeah. and um, Sean Bean. Yeah, but that's it. Sean Bean occasionally. You know, you know who? Well, they do have a pretty stellar cast of voice actors for the characters. They just that was all they could afford. So every single female, I think Nord and Orc was Linda Carter. Like I think that was all. Like the, she was all the entire race of female <laughs> Nords and female Orcs. Yeah, in the problem, and it's is, like what? Well, it's in, she's a very dynamic voice actress. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, just, well, that's where like direction would help. Yeah, because yeah. It, they it, it just felt phoned in because you'd well, run into a tavern, they say the same thing. You'd run into a place, they say the same thing. All the guards are literally the same guy. Mm-hmm. They saved a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> they so, blew it all on Patrick Stewart. No, um, so. They go into Skyrim, and it's supposed to be a combination of the familiar and the alien, and that was the idea. Todd had this idea where he wanted to create these uh, a bridge where he saw, because I think deep down he wants to make a, I mean, who, who would want to be a cold, soulless businessman unless you're working on the CEO side of things? Maybe that's right. your dream, but Todd Howard stays as a director because he can get shit done. May not be the best when it comes out, but he'll get the shit done. And I'm not a fan of Todd Howard or anything. I'm just telling you, like, I think the buildup and the craze around him is perpetuated both by Bethesda and the people who dislike Todd Howard. I agree, because it's one of those things. Everyone's where, just, sto- they're all stoking this fire that doesn't need to fucking happen. Well, it's, 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 <laughs> it's one of those. It's a pointless fire. Well, yeah, and it's, it's one of those. <laughs> you're right. And it's one of those things that people latch onto. They, it, it's like in politics, where yeah. you go, orange man bad, me hate Trump. And I'm like, yeah, but you keep talking about him a lot. Yeah. And so the there's pro- a whole government there. They don't that, that's the thing. They don't talk about any of the real issues that well, come no, with no. Oblivion or Skyrim. They right. talk about Todd Howard lied about walking into a mountain. Right. Well, Todd Howard hasn't built a game in a while. He probably doesn't <laughs> know. <laughs> Todd yeah. Howard received a line a a one-note card. Yeah, uh, one-liners to say at a press conference from people who also didn't build the game. Yeah, it says, here's what's in the game, Todd. Yeah. Straighten yeah. your tie. Yeah. That, that, that's just what it says on the card. Um, Do a so, magic trick. So here's, I, I, I was going to bring you into this next part. Please. Okay, so as you guys know, Skyrim, this will bring you up to this thing where it's like they go for a very shallow experience that reaches more people and create a mod platform because they found that people weren't buying their game to play their game. They're buying it so that way they could mod it. 
Yes. And that's why they wanted to mod it. They saw that with Oblivion. That's why the horse armor, I think is why the horse armor came in. They saw cha-ching. People want oh, us, yeah. they like, we have professionals that can mod. And they're like, well, quick, J- Johnson, make us a, a something for the game. He's like, I have this horse armor that I made. Fuck $5, it, sweet. Yeah, let's fucking put it in. $5, boom, let's go. Uh, put yeah. some wheels on that bitch. They didn't even have the distributor right for that. Like, I think the EXE was messed up the first round it was released. Who like, cares? Print yeah. it, ship it. <laughs> Yeah, so they create all this to create a mod platform that just ends up becoming a mod platform for another series. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was gonna, I'm gonna leave this in for Tex because Tex can talk more about this than I can. Uh, Interplay was originally developing a Fallout MMO in the late 2000s. They a were sad era. Yeah, they were being bankrolled by Bethesda to make this game. Mm-hmm. Um, then they were sued and they settled for two million dollars and. All of the IP for Fallout went to Bethesda. Ouch. Yeah. So uh, imagine having a really cool IP and then being told we can go to court because you're not doing well with it because we bankrolled you or you can sell all your rights to it for a bunch of pennies. Great. And Interplay at the time. And I think even oh, they, now they're they w- still trying to sell their IPs. Oh yeah. They've, they've got nothing. Inter- Interplay is like five guys. It's a rights holder company. Yes. So they were they were supposed to be making this MMO didn't happen, so Tex lead us into the the, the sad right. story of Fallout. All right, I'm glad I drank that whiskey because that <laughs> has tempered my approach to this. <sighs> All right, so originally Interplay was working on a Fallout Three. It was called Van Buren, and if you wanted to know what Van Buren looked like, you can go to the Fallout Wiki, which is called No Mutants Allowed. Or the vault, depending. I think No Mutants Allowed was the forum. But um, yeah. go to the wiki and read Van Buren. You can read all the design documents. You can easily, well, you can even see. Uh, from, You're right. Yeah. Oh, I was? Yeah. It's uh, nma-fallout.com. No Thank Mutants you. Allowed. Thank you. So yep. you can read from Van Buren the design documents. You can see the art that was done for it. You can even see people's character sheets in special. It was originally intended for it. Van Buren has a total design document. So you can see all the places you would have gone and all the places you could have visited and all the people you could have met or in the case of some people just murdered. But, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, yes, not everyone's a good man. Some people are scrambles and they solve problems. Mm, well, but, you know, scramble hate. But that's um, what scrambles does. Yeah. And if you can't you, talk to them. And if you guys don't know what Scrambles is, go check out the Courtesy Flush because there is a wonderful, probably by the time you're listening to this, few episodes of uh, us playing Fallout. And we play an int one character by the name of Scrambles. But you can learn by the time this podcast too. comes out, it'll be a month after we've recorded it because of our, re- our release schedules. All right. So the, um, the original Fallout 3 was called Van Buren. I would recommend anyone who likes Bethesda's Fallout 3 to go read the Van Buren design document and realize what you were fucking robbed out of. Could Bethesda have finished Van Buren? Yes. Could Interplay have finished Van, Van Buren? Uh, no. No, they couldn't have because by that point they were out of people, resources, and time. But the game design was done, and a lot of the core people had left, um, namely Leon Boyarsky and mm-hmm. Tim Kaine, and you know they the they people left. who can make the game. 
Yeah, uh, the people who later womp, founded womp. Troika. Yeah, they, they which s- made a little tiny game called... called uh, oh, they made two really interesting games. Um, <laughs> one was called Arcanum. Yes. Which is my favorite. Yes, and good the, game. The other is Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines, which was barely finished and still is really good. <laughs> it, it was, yes. I was going to say, it's one of those games where if you played it without knowing anything about it, you'd be like, what kind of fucking bullshit is this? Because it was buggy as shit. But Buggy as shit. Then you realize, wait, this was actually the first game on the Source Engine. Yeah. Really amazing. Ooh. So, the next big moment. In this weird saga is Fallout 3. And I must admit, when that first trailer came out for Fallout 3, mm-hmm. I was fucking stoked. Mm. Inkspot's song, call back to the first game, right? Yeah. The first game is maybe. Third game, I believe, is I don't want to set the world on fire. I think it was I don't want. Yeah, right. exactly. So I see that. I was like, oh, my God, they're returning to roots. Oh, my God, mm. we're finally getting a third Fallout game. And I'm telling all my friends, Fallout's fucking great. Fallout's fucking great. And we all get stoked at it. And instead of a steak sandwich, I get a picture of a steak sandwich. I get this ultimately empty experience. I get Oblivion with guns. I get the best Oblivion mod ever made, Fallout 3. (laughs) Um, And aside from the big fucking boom at the beginning, the Tenpenny Tower scenario of setting off an H-bomb, which was pretty cool for a quest, and that's why they showed it off in all the... All the trailers. All Mm -hmm. the trailers. Yeah, you had to have your big explosion. I got endless ass-tier dialogue from mushy Bethesda-faced motherfuckers and gunplay inspired by seemingly (laughs) crash-test dummy footage where you pull out a handgun and you shoot someone in the face in slow motion and the head leaves as a whole like a basketball just pulled away on a cable. And people applauded this. I guess people really like characters that look like they're bee sting victims. (laughs) (laughs) Everybody looks like they've been stung by bees. And in constant grimace, if you'll notice in combat, people all look like they're taking the biggest shit of their lives. There there's one of my favorite things about the, the uh, emotion like facial emotion system in that game. Everybody looks like they're sad, but if they're happy with you at the end of their sentence, they go, and smile. Yeah, they, they do that last minute smile. Like, and it's like, I am super, good. Yeah, yeah. I like you. Well, that was the thing that was a leftover <laughs> from uh, Oblivion. Oblivion. Yeah, well, because remember in Oblivion, you had that wheel game you had to play. What the let me, fuck? Let me insult you, compliment you, bribe you, I, and threaten it you. It was like playing a game of Simon. In a certain order. It was like playing yeah. a game of Simon where it's like, beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. And you're like smashing those buttons, and yeah. it's like, threaten. Love, threaten, hate. Or it was one of them was like discount unlocked. (laughs) One of them was like tell a joke or something like that. Tell a joke, compliment, threaten. And all the NPCs say to this are like, well, that sounds about reasonable. Right. (laughs) How dare you? Thank you. Yeah, exactly. And it was it was just like arbitrary number increase. Yeah, you have earned a discount for threatening a man eight times and telling a joke, and it's (laughs) as opposed to. Speechcraft. Attempt speechcraft. Success. Yeah. Plus number of points. Wow, that would be interesting. Minus number of points. And also based on tabletop. Oh, tabletop. Yeah. Oh, and what's the other word? Logic. So here's the thing. Fallout 3 comes out and they everyone, I remember everyone starts talking about story. Oh, it's such a great story. It's story. No, blah, it's blah, not. Blah. No, because all the game journalists have been told this is your talking point. It's going to be the most engrossing story. It's going to be the best story ever told. And, you know, 
the problem is, is the diehard Fallout fans realizing at the point they may have never gotten a Fallout 3 have read this thing written by the writer of Fallout called the Fallout Bible, which you guys can actually go read. It's free to find. And then the Fallout Bible from its inception starts pointing out the state of the world. Mm-hmm. Here's the back lore and reasons for things and what have you, because Fallout 1 and 2 like to drop little hints at stuff, mm-hmm. but not show you everything on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. You had to kind of guess, and they were talking points, but it also fell in with a post-apocalyptic world where the past is not known. Mm-hmm. And you guess, why did the war start? Is that really relevant? We're dying right now. Yeah, not really. You know, so it's, it's, it's like, well, what was the war about? Eh, two great nations fought. They destroyed the world. Yep. Good enough. So uh, are you going to talk about the environment? We're going to start screaming about the environment. Oh, yeah, because yes. I, I didn't go into anything about uh, like Oblivion or Skyrim because those have been beat to death by hundreds and thousands oh, of other people who bitch and complain about Todd Howard or talk about no. the graphics or I'm, LOL, I'm my horse is stuck in a wall. And then you go, this is the failure point for... I'm like... No, the, the failure point is you have a game that doesn't work or the game doesn't make you happy because I'm going to fill in another part of that fucking bingo card right now. Uh-oh, here we go. Liking something should not be hard. There you go. There it is, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> There's a reason why I play the same old games I like, because I have fun with them, which is crazy. Foon? What is this Foon thing? Foon. You're having fun, you pretentious motherfucker. How dare you? Fun in video games? You must be critical at all times. Yeah, video games is an art. Is an art. It can be in the hands of competent people. Art. Yeah, so the thing... (laughs) Is is the game is stylistically tone deaf and allow me to explain. Mm. Fallout One is California. Mm-hmm. It is a shitty, irradiated, blasted wasteland. A desert, if you will. A huge desert, but there are cities that have been made from the ruins of the old world. Mm-hmm. There are also cities made from adobe. This is man versus nature. This is man reclaiming the world. You see people planting crops. We just played this last mm-hmm, night. You mm-hmm. see people furrowing crops. It's not people digging through garbage. There's yeah. people making civilization. Civilization endures, man endures. You see that this is 70 years after the bombs dropped. Several generations have passed, and people are not worried about the state of the world. They're like, well, our cows have two heads now. Yeah. Well, time to kill him for beef. You know, this, it's, is, it's, this is just life. Yeah. You know, their, their main concern is the raiders down the road mm-hmm. and the scorpions. I mean, scorpion. Scorpion. <laughs> scorpion. Um, yeah. Their, their worry is the immediate threats to their survival. Mm-hmm. Right. So Fallout 2, a little bit further down the road, civilization is on the rise again. And nations are starting to rise. The NCR Mm. starts to show up. People have moved beyond subsistence agriculture to actually saying, hey, we need to restore technology. We need to bring things back. God, Fallout 2, you could build a fucking car. Yeah. Sweet. Yeah. Fucking really sweet. So you find also the specter of the old world rising, the enclave. That kind of splinter shadow government coming back to yeah. smash the world, which is really interesting. And that started in Fallout 2. Correct. Yeah. And you also find that like World War Three might have been, they dropped enough little pieces to where you start going, wait, World War Three might have not been what you thought it was. It may have been triggered by some of these shadowy groups. Mm-hmm. 
this may have been people trying to in the world to deal with, you know, the resource crisis and so on and so forth. But Fallout 2 is an interesting escalation of Fallout 1. So then you get to Fallout 3. And at this point, I'm not talking about Van Buren. I'm talking about Bethesda's attempt at the Oblivion mod. You find there's Enclave and Mutants for reasons that don't make sense with not only the lore Bible or any established lore. It was we need to import everything that was successful up to this point and just kind of paint it into the game. Yeah, Fallout 3 was the meme of Fallout. Correct. And retrofuturism. See, the problem is, okay, when you saw Fallout 1, mm-hmm. do you think 1950s? Mm, no, more like 60s. It's very diesel 60s, punk. 70s. Yeah, it's it's got kind of a gritty feel to it. Yeah, it feels like a world that lost all of its technology and people are just sort of using what's the basic... It feels like Mad Max. Yeah. It's like 1970s, 1980s. And this was a world that had had a horrible resource crunch. And as a result, you start seeing a lot of things like vacuum tubes and what have you. Now, I think they retconned that a little bit. And they're like, this is a world that never developed the integrated circuit. And I'm like, right. it's kind of dumb. Yeah. Uh, if you had widespread nuclear power, you'd have. Yes. Yeah. That's, yes. Tech, yeah. Typically. It's all but stuff. so the thing is, is you have this thing where in Fallout 3, because they've never read the Fallout Bible, I'm convinced, and they have no idea what they're talking about. They're like, well, it's 1950s. And so everything's retrofuturism. If you look at the guns in Fallout 1, mm-hmm. any of the guns that I picked up, what movies, what books are they in, do you think that are inspired by? The, the 10 mil pistol and submachine gun really remind me of like Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd. Good call. What, what else, Mike? Oh, um, I really like um, the 10 millimeter pistol. It has that, it's oversized and just. Yeah, it's, it's 1980s. Yeah, it's yeah. very Blade Runner. It's cassette futurism. Same with the, same with the plasma pistol, actually, because like thinking yeah. about um, what was, what was that fucking movie that we watched where um, it was a 1950s sci-fi movie. Forbidden um, Planet. Forbidden Planet. Because you look at the Forbidden Planet. And even the theoretical technology from that period was like, oh, it's fission lasers and stuff yeah, like, like that. Think about you're this. Not, you're not the talking gun- about retrofuturism as in like plasma rifles, plasma pistols. Well, no, That's retrofuturism like a thing. Re- retrofuturism is the 1950s look where you have a spangly jumpsuit with a fishbowl helmet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Where you have a gun that has the little weird rings on the barrel. A bunch barrel. of sequins and yeah. shit. And, yeah. And, and it's very much very campy pre-Star Star Trek, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. Very Flash Gordon-y. Mm. Yes. So the thing is, is the plasma pistol I picked up last night. It looked like a fucking gun. Yeah. Everything looks like cassette futurism. Which is... Yeah, that's cassette futurism. It's very Blade Runner. Is or, cassette futurism yeah. is... Blade Runner. So, okay. So it's, 1980s. It's 1980s. Okay. Alien. Cassette futurism. Right. So, like, you're thinking late 70s, mid 80s. Yeah. Um, Cassette futurism is alien, aliens, Blade Runner, stuff like that. It's gritty. The future is kind of dark. It's still an analog world in many ways. Mm -hmm. So, then you get to Fallout 3 and you get retro futurism dialed up to fucking 11. It's Mm -hmm. 1955 everywhere. And the thing that blows my fucking mind is there are skeletons goddamn anywhere. Are you telling me in 200 fucking years no one picked up a glass, a plate, or a skeleton? 
in a no, scavenger society. Not. No, no. No, no. Everyone's dead where they dropped. It's yeah. a dead world. Nobody's interacting with anything. And there's debris that's unmoved in 200 years if people mm -hmm. are inhabiting the ruins of a no, city. No no no, 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 no. No one touches that. No. There's no such thing as a tornado or hurricane in the future. Right. Or, you know. and, and, and so they have DLCs that fuck with the lore even further. Like, World War III was caused by aliens? What? And yeah. And, and so... No. Yeah. Oh, there's an alien abduction. No. And, yeah. It has ship Zeta. fired. I, I think uh, the Elder Scrolls series and the Fallout series have some beautiful set pieces at times there's some parts that are just really ugly but it has some beautiful set pieces i think the uh dlc with the alien was a beautiful set piece it's yes. very style over it substance. feels like a funny adventure yes. has nothing to do with fallout exactly so here's the thing also that just nails it for me gameplay wise mm -hmm. they fucked up because there's a win button I am bad at video games. Vats. Allow me to hit Vats. Now, you saw Vats. <laughs> you saw Vats last night. You saw Called Vats shot. last night. So Vats and, and Fallout 1. Vats and Fallout 1. Vats and Fallout 2. I need to evaluate where to place a shot to enhance the chances of critical damage. Yeah. So you make that shot. You may fail. You may succeed, mm -hmm. but you see realistic numbers, not XCOM numbers, mm -hmm. but you see realistic numbers of mm -hmm. your chances of success. Yep. Well, Vance in Fallout 3 is the win button because you mash the button and you line up eight attacks at once and the NPC goes Explode. and walks slowly toward you as you shoot them in the face 12 times. <laughs> Yeah, and just slowly they ragdoll apart very badly. Mm -hmm. And then you go, wow, I'm good at video game. And the reason I say it's designed for people who are really bad at video games is my friend Travis, who does not play first-person shooters. Oh. And Travis, if you're out there listening, I'm not talking shit, but he does not play first-person shooters at all. Not Doom, not anything. Just mm -hmm. It's not his style of games. He plays grand strategy games, and he's great at them. He's great at them, but he does not play first-person shooters. He saw me play in Fallout 3. He's like, let me try that. He picks up the console controllers. He's flailing around at the hip. He's just one of those people that, like, the gun turns towards the sky, and you amble slowly forward and step on a mine. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. He's like, oh, my God, what have I done? I don't know. Da, da, da. He almost beat that game in one sitting because that's how much of a win button that was. He was like, I, what are these game make? Oh, wait, I can stop time. Click murder. Just press the murder button. Yep. Yeah. That's how it works. And Bethesda throughout has acted ever since that point like they invented Fallout. They have acted like they made Fallout. Yeah. They acted like it. And yeah. that's the thing that that has fed to the goddamn media where you find these journalists who go, yeah, when Bethesda made Fallout. No. Bethesda didn't make Fallout. No, they bought it. And the problem with that is it's like a company buying a restaurant. Just buy... Imagine if DuPont... <laughs> imagine if DuPont <laughs> yeah. bought Golden Corral. And they started selling a bologna sandwich. And they were like, we here at Golden Corral have invented... This new thing called the bologna sandwich. And you go, no. and you go, no, I've had those as a False. kid. I, I don't think that's true. Well, we here at Golden Corral, as builders of the bologna sandwich, believe firmly 
You will enjoy our bologna sandwich the best. And they pour a $900 million ad campaign into it. And everyone you run into goes, hey, have you heard of the inventors of the bologna sandwich? This Golden Corral yeah. guys? That's, that's how it works. And it doesn't yeah. matter that it's just shit meat between stale bread. People buy it. Um, Sorry, I, I know that's a long rant. No, 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 but no, you're right. It, the thing is, uh, there's a lot of that in advertising when somebody acquires something. It's like, you know, somebody acquiring McDonald's said, McDonald's has been serving the country since 19-whatever it was fucking established. Uh, there was and so Ray have Kroc, we. Uh, there was, it was the McDonald's brothers, but Ray Kroc uh, is like the founder of McDonald's. And he more or less fucked him out of it. That is a matter of opinion. Please don't sue me, McDonald's. Yeah, anyway. Um, <laughs> even though it's easily researched through historical records, that exactly, is a matter of opinion. You can make that comparison with a lot of things. Mm-hmm. It's, all, it's almost like, you know, BP acquiring McDonald's said, we invented the hamburger. And it's like, dude, no, first of all, McDonald's BP invented- oil. We're big fans of the hamburger, which is why we invented it. Like, which is why we invented it last year. <laughs> and we're going to come out with the newest hamburger we found at the bottom of the ocean, not anywhere near our oil rigs. I you, promise. You know, some motherfucker would walk down the street that day and see a five guys and be like, "Oh, you fucking copycats! You bunch of fucking posers!" And and Texas pointing out one thing that's also true with Star Trek. Uh, Star Trek's been brought up anyway. Uh, one thing with Star Trek is people will recognize. Uh, Captain Kirk and Spock and well, yeah. um, <laughs> Dr. McCoy and the Star Trek Enterprise, which is what they would call it on the street. Oh, hey, that's the Star Trek Enterprise no. because that's the kind of attention span the general public has. And these games are marketed specifically for that. Now, there's nothing wrong with that. No, no, there's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong with saying mass marketing. I like going to the movies and watching the dumbest movie possible and eating mm-hmm. a handful of popcorn. There's no, I, I don't judge you for that. Sometimes it's great to turn your brain off. It's, but when you compare yeah. it to what came before, it's like Godfather 1, great movie. Godfather 2, great movie. Mm-hmm. Godfather 3. <laughs> what the fucking fuck, you fucking fucks? Dude. What were you snorting, smoking, and drinking at the same time when you said, you know what? That's good enough printed. Uh, the answer that to is, that is yes. Yeah. And, and so <laughs> the problem is, is you look at Fallout 1, 2, and 3, is like Godfather 1, 2, and 3, where you go, good. Wow. Really good. You improved on the original. I didn't think that was a, what the fuck? Yeah. And so, you know, then there was- Liberty Prime. Well, here's <laughs> the thing. They were like, you know what we need? We need to put the Iron Giant in this. And that's that's the thing is, after that, there's Fallout New Vegas, right? Yeah. Okay. So Fallout New Vegas, I'm going to say is the redemption pass for this whole thing. Mm-hmm. A return to form. It is the old guard coming back. They're like, we're putting the band back together. It's like a heist movie where they get all the guys together. Yeah. And they're like, we're going to do this. And despite having a rush schedule and forced engine choices and the rug pulled up from out from under them, I mean, that, that was fucking horrible. Bethesda shit all over those poor guys, that is my opinion, shit all over those poor fucking people because they were like, what well, needs to hit this percentage? Well, let's just shy of that so we're not going to fucking pay you your bonuses and what have Jesus. you. And just Oh, just all sorts of shittery, in my opinion. And... They rushed the whole fucking thing. They didn't have a chance to fix or bug anything. And if you look at critical reviews of what are the best Fallout games of all time, or even the best RPGs, not even considering Fallout, 
New Vegas makes it and Fallout 3 doesn't. Yeah. Oops. Right. Um, Suck one. I, I also want to point out there there is going to be a lot of people who be like, hey, I liked you know Optimus Prime and that's great. No, no, not Optimus Prime. That's a totally Liberty different Prime. IP. Completely Liberty Prime, different, and uh, certainly I, not a nod or a rip no, off. No, not that. at all. That would be right. completely di- wrong. Absolutely right. There are people who like that stuff, and that's perfectly fine. Mike, there but are Texas, some people who enjoy pulling the asphalt out of their driveway and putting it into their mouths. They they really okay, enjoy listen. that. <laughs> No, what I was going to make a point was you can light certain aspects of something, but don't don't pretend like you're not going to zoom out and see a giant cow turd. Well, like, like you could be like, oh, wow, a piece of Wrigley's gum. And you're just zoomed in on the gum. You zoom all the way out. and It's a giant cow patty. Well, here's the thing of a game. That. And you're like, OK, that's cool, but I'm not going to eat that. Dude. Here, here's the thing. I drive. <laughs> I drive a car. <laughs> just I dr- his expression was just like, <laughs> I don't know if I'd make that comparison. <laughs> here's here's the comparison I'll make. I drive a car. Yeah. It's Volkswagen Passat. Mm-hmm. It has four doors and four wheels. Is it exciting to drive? No. Does it start when I press the button? Yes. Yes. Yeah. Does it do everything I expect a car to do? Yes, but I see it as more or less as a convenience and an appliance. The much can be same set. Well, much can be same set for Fallout 3. Where is it a game? Mm-hmm. Yes. Does it have all the aspects of a post-apocalyptic game? Well, yes. Does it allow me to do the things I would expect of a game? Yes. But is it an empty, soulless appliance like your microwave? Correct. Yes. Yeah. And so the issue is that then leads us to Skyrim. Ah, yes. The ultimate mod platform to date. So, Tex, why don't you uh, tell us about Fallout 4? All right. The best one. All right. All right. So here's what we're going to do. First of all, cheers. Yes. Clink. Clink, clink. There you go. And I'm, I'm going to drink this, and then I'm going to remain calm. Mm-hmm. Ah, all right. Fallout Four. <laughs> he says with a pained look on his face. It's not. Not from, from the whiskey. No. Nope. <laughs> it's not from the whiskey. Nope. Let me assure you. Mm-mm. So where do we start with Fallout oh, where, Four? Where can't we start? The gunplay. Oh, ow. <laughs> well, we can't start with what's good. We no. have to start with the thing that will bug text in any game, which is gunplay. Well, it, I have to agree. Yeah, the, I have the, to agree. The gunplay felt yeah. in many ways just completely awful. And, um, the, and the reason is, is because it reminds me a lot of Borderlands, where it it's like, it here's didn't. a guy with a health bar mm-hmm. and you're spraying a bullet hose at him you're yep. spraying a magic wand that casts bullets and you can modify <laughs> your gun in any way you want in any way you want but it's just stupid because so, you go ahead here here was my problem with the gunplay if you play the game on a lower difficulty setting it feels appropriately lethal towards the enemy the same is not directed at you and that's the problem because yeah. fallout i think is a is an inherently high lethality system right and the the single shot weaponry, and I think this is probably where you were going, so feel free to take over if you want to. At the start of the game where you just just have the 10 mil pistol, I was like, oh man, this is pretty cool. Like I like the cover mechanics, I like the, you know, um, 
I like the fact that the player has to like actively seek cover. I like that, you know, I'm hitting these guys and two or three shots, they're going down. Um, and then I got, uh, let's see. Uh, I like, they start you off with the 10 mil pistol, but you're supposed to use that little like pipe pistol or whatever it yeah. is. And so I was like, I was kind of running low on 10 mil ammo. I was like, Oh, so we've got actually a little bit of like, you know, resource management here. Maybe that's a return to that. That's kind of cool. And then I, and then I got a uh, weapon that was fully automatic and I was like, Oh, it's fully automatic weapon because Exciting, in, yeah, because in the original fallout, the 10 mil submachine gun even with terrible skills for it yes is much better than the 10 mil pistol because it still shoots 10 mil bullets which do the same damage but it does it a lot faster yeah which is the purpose of having an automatic weapon right and if you have an mp5 and even yes. don't know how to use it if it's loaded yeah and it's cocked and locked yeah and you pull that trigger on full auto yes it doesn't matter what your skills are if the guy's right in front of you in your face and you pull that trigger you his will face, shoot the fuck out of him he go away and it's and if you have to pick between an mp5 and a nine millimeter pistol you'll pick the mp5 because it's full automatic and it has a 30 round clip it's also cooler it's also cooler damage per second is a real thing yeah. so naturally in the interest of balance when you make a weapon full auto in uh, in Fallout Four, does li- it does less damage? Yeah, in, so in, that it's, it's balanced? Just question mark. Fucking tone deaf. Yeah. I mean, then they took the the most brilliant aspect of Fallout has not been the setting. The most brilliant aspect of Fallout has been the special system. Mm-hmm. Because you can wrap your head around it. You understand what each of your attributes does. You know what they influence. It explains the mechanics yeah. for it. And you go, oh, this is really fun. This is really neat. And the best implementation of special, I think, was New Vegas. I think New Vegas was really, really great. Because Fallout 3 gave you like a fucking perk. What was it? Like every two levels or something, something like it was, that. It was yeah. really quick. So by level 10, you're just like, I am Grognor fuckinator. And you're like punching holes through babies. Or you, you have a trait that allows you to punch through schools. Like yeah. it's just. You just. Oh, you know, it's crazy. If this yeah. was a, if this was a YouTube video, this would be the part where we have the record scratch freeze frame. And we go to the, uh, the perk system. Yeah. And replaced all of that. Yeah, so... In other words, where they took the RPG guts and yanked them out. Yeah, because that was too much brain think. No, brain think bad, no like. Because they were were watching people play their game, and they're like, this is hard, I don't like pricking things, this is too much. I made a character who's bad because I'm bad at math, and so... Why why is everybody mm -hmm. we voice that plays these games... Cavemen? Well, like, super mutants? Yeah, well, we, we just play them, well, because one... Super mutant cavemen. Yeah. (laughs) The reason we use super mutants is one, it's called being totally appropriate for your subject matter. And two, it's accurate. So, um, that's why you got to be a uh, ghoul, not be one of those smooth skins. Smooth skin. (laughs) Smokes, let's go. Come on. I just wanted Mike to do his ghoul impression because it's so good. It's better than that lady you do for all the. I'm not going to do that. Please, yeah. Please, you. please, please, can you do a little bit? If I do it, okay. Hey, guys. I'm a- no, I'm kidding. <laughs> wow. No. Hey, what are you guys getting into? You want to go have some fun? I'll 
tell you what, I wash my cooch with the finest soap you can buy down at the store. It's the crispiest, crunchiest soap you've ever eaten. I tell you what, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> that you know, would be the high ant feral ghoul. Yeah. yeah, no, seriously, that would that would be fucking great if you ran into a ghoul like that sitting next to a mattress, and she's like, "Hey, boys, how's it going?" And you're like, oh, <laughs> "Oh no, no!" She's a feral ghoul, and she you just like imagine you doing that subway thing, and it's like super creepy down there, and she go, "I thought I heard a noise. I'm gonna go check it out." Like you're, you're like, like oh, please God. stealth system work. <laughs> stealth boy, where's my stealth boy? <laughs> Never tried to hide so hard in my life. <laughs> but no, it, it, that's that's the thing is like the game was just God knows what. It was not the special system. Mm-hmm. It was a horrible settlement sim. Every two seconds, hey, a settlement needs your help. Please go over here, and you go the over there. The best mod is the one where you can blow that guy's fucking face off well in the guy was an interesting idea for a character hey we're trying to set that up whole a whole mo- faction was a fascinating idea yeah it we're, was great we're, we're it the minutemen we're a citizen militia of the locality because we're demonstrating once again like from fallout one to fallout two the progression of society after the fall yeah we, a militia an organized defense force for the betterment wow. of the commonwealth yeah How like fascinating a police and military force to defend our civilization oh we you're turning you were to frozen normal. in time and you have old world military training uh, you could be revolutionary for this effort wow you know how military doctrine works like that would have been an interesting mechanic yeah and they just threw it it away because that would have required effort or brain power they found they found a pig farm and they took that idea and they found the shit bucket and they just whipped it in there they were like this that's where that can live it was a shallow ass game and the plot was terrible it, it was just like at the very end and by the way spoiler warning yeah but at spoiler, the very end, spoiler warning at the for very fallout end, 4 if you're playing fallout 4 don't don't listen no, don't <laughs> stop don't. immediately first of all like refund button if, yes, if you haven't played please. more than two hours you can get your money back on steam but um you find that your son that was stolen from you as a babby is now like a supervillain, but not like a cool supervillain. He's just not an like, old guy. Just an old guy. And he's like, help, I'm old and you need to do. And I like. I got when, the super cancer. When, <laughs> when I got to that point in the game. I mashed through buttons so hard to where I could unlock my favorite dialogue option, which was 44 Magnum to the face. (laughs) I was like, cool, done. And I never played it again because it was awful. But now that we've discussed how Fallout 4 is not a game, but instead a series of experiences, not unlike how Telltale Games does things. Yes. Let us move into Skyrim, which oh. most of you people are quite familiar with. Now, we understand that Fallout 4 came out after Skyrim. Yes. But it's, Skyrim is a bigger topic yes, to it, discuss. Because at Skyrim and, it's the train and that, Fallout 4 yeah. thematically and systematically share a lot. Because in Skyrim, you see the removal, or not, well, it's the removal, the removal of the skill system that has been mm-hmm. inherent to elder scrolls for the entire series so there's there's no longer 
you still have skills and they still level up, but now there's a perk tree. So you don't, you know, like, oh, well, you raise your skill, but every time you hit this many skills and you level up, you get a single perk point and you can increase the thing in one, not like you get these certain, like in Oblivion, like when you hit like 90 skill and acrobatics you could like jump across the water if you timed it right or some fucking insane yeah you can hop like off that. the surface of water for you are so agile yeah no, that was daggerfall cool. yeah. Dag- daggerfall yeah. did that same similar thing right. where if you raise the speed up in daggerfall it doesn't matter what weapon you're using you're, you're gonna be swinging like yeah yeah and and that you know, it was one of those things that I feel like you should never balance. Right. Um, and there were there were <laughs> there were no attributes anymore in terms of like, oh, what is your strength? What is your int? What is your dex? All that's gone, just like in Fallout, and it's replaced by a perk system. And regardless, you could have a hundred skill in single handed weapons and shields. Mm-hmm. And it would mean nothing if you didn't invest points into or perk points into those trees. It would mean nothing. Well, which in, is yeah. stupid. In and I love Skyrim. I, I, I love Skyrim. I love Skyrim as well. Yeah. But I hate the if there is one thing that I wish they would do, it would be retcon the RPG system and put back in the old system, which they can't because you'd have to fucking ruin no, the guts of the game. They they created a vehicle. They created a perfect formula, a vehicle yes. that delivers a game to the people who don't want to um, deal with a big RPG system. They want to come home from work after working at the battery factory and play... Uh, you know, play Skyrim and it's exciting and it's an adventure and it has all the story elements and they feel like they're a part of the big adventure groups that are out there and they're like, I went on the adventure too and I had a great time. Their adventure vehicle may have been the Honda Accord of adventures, but at the end of the day, they were able to have the same adventure. However, the secret sauce was missing. The thing that could have made it deeper, more interesting well, I is think, left to the people yeah. who give a shit. And, well, Bethesda, and those are moners. Yeah, yeah. Bethesda knows people who give a shit more about these games are going to be the ones that are going to mod and make the thing that they don't have to. Well, right. And the thing with Skyrim is... And the Honda Accord's a fine vehicle. I didn't. I just pulled that out of my ass. Right. And yeah. it's, it's one of those things where it's like... <laughs> Skyrim was a fun game, but it didn't feel like an Elder Scrolls game. No. Yeah. And the other thing is it was a fantastic mod platform. Mm-hmm. But people who say a game is a great game, because I have this problem all the time with Dwarf Fortress. Um, I will say Dwarf Fortress is a great game. I will say Dwarf Fortress is a fantastic game that is unmatched in what it does. And people will say, yeah, but I like RimWorld. And I'm like, oh, so you think RimWorld is better than Dwarf Fortress because I'm an asshole. And that's how I phrase things. And they will go, well, yeah, it's a greater game than Dwarf Fortress. And I'm like, oh, so would you play vanilla RimWorld? Oh, and they no. go, no, of course not. I, I need 800 mods. And- I was just about to say, I was just about to make the comparison. Skyrim, to me, is yes. a good game. It's a great I, mod platform. I can play Skyrim by itself, but I won't. Yeah. Because there are mods that make it better. Shogun Total War is a great game. Shogun 2. Because I'll play the fuck out of it, and I have with not a single fucking mod. I agree. Mods make it better, and but there's like two. Yeah. yeah. There's like two mods that I use. That's it. Yeah. And, and the thing is... That's why it's a great game. Is, is it better Skyrim than... Isn't. 
Is it better than Fallout 3? Yes, because Fallout 3 was a full conversion mod for, you know, for Oblivion. Yep. But Skyrim was essentially a really great mod platform. And it yeah. was sold again and again and again and again across so many platforms for over a decade. And it's, I, that's become a yeah. meme in itself. Right. Yeah. Well, Bethesda, back before Skyrim came out, I'm making this assumption here, is I think they understood that players are just going to make the game that they want to make. Mm-hmm. And they don't have to do... They All they have to do is... <clears throat> make the game for the wider audience and then the other people will just flock to it to make it their own Seeing smart that's a smart way to do it they never will sell it like that they will never sell it like that because they have to be the ones that say uh our game is the grandest adventure you will ever take wink asterisk asterisk mm. also you can mod the shit out of it and do whatever you want but and we can't say that because that won't it'll make people go well why don't you make the game like the modders do well and i think bethesda nowadays especially with skyrim and oblivion is they've become and i know i'm gonna get some hate mail for this but Mm -hmm. i have to be honest and i think i've made kind of a name for myself on youtube and everything else for being if flawed genuine in my opinions you are but I think that they are the Budweiser of RPGs. <laughs> I, I was about to say, I think that the day that you consign yourself to saying, oh, I'll just make the skeleton and then the, modern, the modders can put the meat on it. That's, right. that's yes. the day that you have given up and gone the way of electronic arts. Right. Yeah. You have said good enough is okay and I don't fucking care anymore. And it's funny you say that because they originally weren't going to go the direction of Electron Arts. They were going to be like, we are the creative mod platform for your desire. Now yeah, it's like the, the, we now own whatever you make. Right. And they're, yeah. they're starting to, they haven't done that yet, but they were starting to do the paid mod thing because they wanted to sell mods to the console platforms. But all the modders, especially on, um, but there was a revolt. Yeah. yeah all the, the modders. The paywall revolt. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're like, we're still going to mod your game. Whatever you do won't stop us. So here's the next thing. And this and is they something. are slowly turning into EA because of that. Yep. Well, and here's the thing that I think that Mike really wanted to talk about was that in if, if you look at older Elder Scrolls games, mm-hmm. a dungeon is either like with Daggerfall. It's kind of... It's randomly generated, so it's a mm-hmm. good dungeon dive. It's like a roguelike dungeon dive. Almost, yeah. It, it, almost. Po- poorly almost. implemented, but Correct. yes. It, it's not greatly implemented because some are unsolvable and you can't win them. But yeah, some of mm-hmm. them. It's a roguelike-ish dungeon dive. So there's endless dungeon dives. Like, go to the caves of blah, blah, blah and kill the orc queen. And you'd go do that. But now, as Mike pointed out earlier... It's like a Disneyland ride. Yes. I, I pointed this out to Tex, and I think this would make for a fantastic Skyrim mod. Like, probably one of the funniest next to the Macho Man mods. Is <laughs> oh, yeah. At the end of a dungeon, after you have completed your grand adventure and you find whatever the fucking dragon language wall, which is pretty fucking cool. I, mean, I, I think that's great. I mean, yeah. even though Skyrim may essentially be like, okay, let's see. Morrowind is you're the Nerevar, maybe, yes. maybe. I've, it's I've, it's I've not really hinted at until you get further enough into the game. You're the chosen one, yes. And you go do a thing, and it's a rebirth stuff, and mm-hmm. what have you. Cool. 
in oblivion. You're the the guy who can help at the moment that's needed. You're you're more or less the chosen one, but maybe not as important. Mm-hmm. And in Skyrim, you're the guy who yells at dragons. Mm-hmm. You which, are you become a god essentially in, yeah. in Skyrim. You become so powerful that nothing can stop you. And I I actually is. Is Skeleton King as that is. I like it. I, I, I really like the idea of There's forging. something to that power trip. Yeah. It's just a shame oh, yeah. they don't let you indulge it more. I, I wish if, if I had done anything, if I was like in those aboard meetings and they were like, hey, Tex, uh, what do you think about this game? I'd be like, all right, hear me out here. We need to make those skills 10 times more powerful, but you can only use them like once a day. Yeah, something uh, yeah, where it's like, like like you go to cut somebody, but it like cuts them in half. Like no, 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 no. no. I mean, like Fusruda, you know, the one that everyone remembers because people will be like, "I love the dragon shouts." I'm like, "Really? Which one's your favorite?" And they Fusruda. they just have the loading <laughs> screen thing in their eyes because they're Fus, like Fusruda. I, I like shouting people off the cliff. Yeah, it, exactly. Which is not a bad answer. No, no, it's not a bad answer. No, it's it, it's the best answer because yeah. whipping people around is fucking hilarious. But yeah. what, what I'm saying is imagine if you could do that times 10 and there are mods that do that but imagine if you do fusro dong and the person just disappears they just, <laughs> like if they're close into you you blow the meat off their bones i thought what i was thinking is just the size of it because i was i'm like to indulge this power fantasy like fuck all these other yarls i'm the goddamn dragonborn you're the i'm the fucking dragonborn. king of skyrim yeah fuck all of you exactly so in this civil war no, I'm not going to help you guys. I'm. You're going to help me. I will walk around and I will beat wholesale ass until everyone backs me. And then when, and then it turns into like, oh well, the uh, the high elves don't like that. Fuck them. You, you walk out there at the head of an army and you just shout like a whole platoon of these well, assholes yeah. like, down and a mountain. That, and you're that like, was the get fucked. That was the issue. You shit is the game was never really finished. Yeah. Skyrim was never really finished because this civil war just kind of. <laughs> Yeah, it became unimportant. Then you fight the big dragon in the Valhalla, not the the totally not the, Valhalla, totally not Valhalla, not Valhalla. No, yeah, not yeah. Valhalla. I, but the point I was going to make uh, is a great mod for this game would be at the end of a dungeon. When you leave the dungeon, there's this nice little crafted hallway that leads you right back to the entrance, and this is in every single dungeon in the game Mm -hmm. i did it's not a mod that is in the game yeah it is you beat the dungeon cool i got all the treasures i went oh hey there's a little cave leads me right back to the entrance Mm -hmm. and it's always some bullshit that's either up on a ledge or it's a door you can open see where it is usually yeah and it's like oh that could lead me to the end of this at the end of it when you reach that hallway and you're in that hallway put a gift shop in every single dungeon because that's what this is you are in a disneyland style theme park and the attraction is the adventure you're going on in these dungeons every time you finish a dungeon you walk out and it's almost like in disneyland or disney world when you walk out of a ride it goes all the way back around the building and and it's in through a gift shop and the, that's and themed the kiosk is manned by a ghoul that like disses you he talks shit yes you don't buy anything he's like hey ah, come on smooth skin don't fucking leave me hanging like that yeah, so you you could buy like a stuffed Draugr and like oh all plastic God. swords and stuff. Like, did you enjoy the the? Yeah, you worked death- really hard to come through here. Take a memento with you. Don't <laughs> fucking cheat yourself. Did you like the Darth Death 
barrows or whatever. <laughs> we'll grab the Death Barrows merchandise. Where it's like, we, we got you a picture when you came off the ride. Yes. When you kill the bad guy, they take a picture of your guy doing a cool oh, strike. Yeah. Yeah. I'm telling you, that would be a fantastic mod because people are like, well, that's silly. Well, guess what? That's what it is. And every other dungeon you enter, why would there be a fucking entrance to the end of the dungeon? Like a fire. Why is there a fire escape at the end of a dungeon? Well, OSHA is not a laughing matter, Mike. I, you're okay. right. Okay. Fire so, safety is anyway, so Anyway, here's the next thing. Let's talk about Bethesda, the producer. Because Bethesda is the producer. Suddenly started getting into Wolfenstein. Oh. Yes. Oh. And the Wolfenstein Uh-oh. games are not bad. They're no? not. No, the, the New Order is, I'm a huge. The New Order is great. I'm a huge Wolfenstein fan. I've played every single game except for Wolf the Wolfenstein games in the 80s that were ASCII-based. I've yeah. only watched, because I didn't know they existed prior mm. to Wolf 3D. I've played every single one of them, mm. um, and I thoroughly enjoy mm. Wolfenstein. I think the New Order is a fantastic fucking game. Mm-hmm. All right, so... Here's where we get into the end of the podcast. Yes, Ooh, this is the. Yes. This would have to be. Oh no! I'm going to have a drink of my bourbon, mm-hmm. which is from Tuck Davion. Yeah, the man oh. who raised money to send me on vacation because he's like Jesus Christ, you work too much. Thank you, Tuck Davion. Well, you know, here, cheers, Mister Nick. Cheers, and here's cheers, Mister Mike. All right, Mister Tuck Davion, who's who's got a wonderful channel. Mm-hmm. Yes, called, he does. Called Battleborn, which goes into the history of Battletech Ooh. and a little bit of local games and local game stores and local nice. restaurants and getting into that beautiful nerddom. Yeah. So here we go. They didn't only help produce Wolfenstein. Yeah, they acquired its software. No, I was made aware of something and I need you guys to brace yourselves. Oh, Bethesda has announced that they are producing a Fallout TV show. Ah, yes. I've seen some pictures, and it's not very good. And it's the same company who has made this show called Westworld. I haven't mm. seen Westworld. And now and now, there's a lot of people who will argue and say Westworld is a great TV show. It was until the end of season one. And I started to watch it and the season one is really interesting. And then season two starts to lose its way. And then... And just, so the, the, the thing <laughs> is... As you can tell, he is not very happy with Westworld. No. And the reason is, is it's like Lost. I yeah. got a cool idea for a TV show. Some people crash land on a spoopy island, and you're like, oh, cool. And then some asshole was like, hey, how far can we rub this rubber band before it snaps in half? Right. Let's see how far we can go with this. No. So they're going to do a Fallout TV show, and I have to admit. It looks fucking terrible. I'm split on this because Bethesda is to have completed projects as enhanced interrogation techniques are to torture. (laughs) Hmm. Hmm. And the way I say that is very correct, because Bethesda has a very, really interesting way of phrasing and doing things that Mm -hmm. are painful, and they try to make you understand that those same things are necessary. And I find a problem with that. Mm. 
So the issue is, is as Bethesda has told us, this is great and so on and so forth. And we have made all of these wonderful RPGs and all of this other stuff. What I have found is Bethesda was once a small company that really tried to drive itself and create these new and innovative worlds that captured the imagination and put the player in charge of deciding the fate of these big things in whichever way they wanted. And slowly over time, they became aware that all they had to do was sparkle and show a little fantasy and people would applaud in their own way and give them money for it. Mm -hmm. But it's devoid of meaning. And that kind of bothers me. Mr. Nick, final thoughts. Yeah, I I have to agree. I mean, watching um watching you play Fallout 1 makes me think of how much I was robbed in right. in Fallout 3 because Fallout 3 was my introduction to the series and I knew that between Fallout 3 New Vegas and uh, I should say between New Vegas and Fallout 4 I knew that I had been robbed. But now I feel that I have been robbed twice. Same thing with between Morrowind, Oblivion, Oblivion and Skyrim. I I really think that Bethesda is at the end stages of something we have talked about in previous podcast, which is right. the end stage monetization of an IP where for a company and a group of shareholders, it's just they don't know when enough is enough. And there's there's never a way to be satisfied. And that is that is how games die. That and, is how the fan base is destroyed. Well, and I, I feel that's really correct because I've talked often about I beat up Games Workshop a lot. I beat up Creative Assembly a lot. They but deserve it. There is a reason for it. Because I point this out. People go, wow, you hate these two companies, these two different companies. And I go, no. These are the two companies I know well enough over years to identify why and how they do what they do. Mm-hmm. And I know why I hate it. But I also see the same thing as a cycle. World of Darkness did it. Um, Wizards of the Coast did it. TSR did it. Game companies do this shit. Because remember when uh, Goat visited Time Before Last, we watched the World of Darkness documentary. Yep. And you see this wonderful rise and fall of a game company. And one of the things I notice in that rise and fall of a game company is there is a stage where it's a couple of guys in a house Mm -hmm. living in the Midwest somewhere. And they go, you know what we're going to do? We're going to be the best game company we can be. We're going to go out there and we're going to build a wonderful world. And we're going to try our hardest. We're going to split the cost and we're going to split the reward all for one and one for all. And they're pioneers at that stage. But then, then they the, get some money. Then the money comes in. And, and they oh. go, you know what we need? We need a big office. We need lawyers. We need parking spots. We need Mercedes well, like that one guy in the Hawaiian shirt in the palatial estate. Like, I don't know why they were so mad at me. And then it t- <laughs> all, all I did to was the other fuck guy. The and they're like, they're like, yeah, so it turns out Tim had about $20,000 in uh, European hotel expenses and private flights. And that was... Uh, that was pretty outrageous. And it cuts back to him and he's like, I just, I still don't get why they're so mad. <laughs> but that's the thing. That is the ultimate thing here is you find there is that beautiful stage where all they have is ambition and guts. And they go, I'm going forward. And if I fucking lose, it's because that's fate. 
and they've put everything they have on the line. And I see all game companies do this. Interplay, Bethesda, Wizards of the Coast, Games Workshop. And the problem is, is when you move out of that stage of a couple of friends working together Mm -hmm. with limited means, that's when it goes dark. Mm -hmm. When you start to go, I want more. I want to be a multimillionaire, not just a millionaire. Yep. I want to be world famous, not just famous. That's that's where they turn dark. And that's that's one of the things I worry about here. Because I like a lot of these games. Mm-hmm. I enjoyed parts of many of these games. And I'm scared about what the future may be if this becomes acceptable. Mike, final thoughts. The end of Diablo 1 is where your character, after defeating Diablo, realizes that in order to contain the demon, they must put the soul stone within them, hoping that their strength... Smash her right into the forehead. ...and their courage can hold back the beast. This is much an echo, in my opinion, as to what happens when somebody with great intentions wants to do something with the money and the power that comes from success, and they do nothing to plan for it. They, th- they, they go in with great atten- intentions and they jam themselves in the forehead with this thing. Now, get don't get me wrong. Power and money isn't the demon itself. I don't think Diablo is the demon. I think Diablo is in everybody. Yeah. And that soul stone, while it in lore was like that holds the soul of Diablo, I think the true soul of Diablo comes from the evil and the avarice of man, which... Mm everybody has and i think that is something that while morality can be completely skewed when things and chips are down and all this other stuff is happening at the end of the day you're still a giant fire breathing Mm -hmm. lizard who's making horrible decisions saying that you are the benevolent and savior of everyone mike got really poetic and deep i was gonna end this whole thing by just saying hey man you know it's like trailer park boys everybody's got a little ricky in them yeah Yeah. Now, (laughs) I'm going to say this, you know, first of all, his fireball did nothing wrong. Second of all, this has been a lot of opinion and conjecture. Yes. Opinion. This is opinion. A lot of opinion. But third of all, we're trying to build a better world Mm -hmm. through everything we do. And none of us here are game developers. Nope. But if we were, I think we would be faced with these same dangers yeah. And fearful thoughts of, you know, failing and losing everything. Because yeah. you find one of the common memes in game development is losing everything. You know, mortgaging your house to pay salary for the game company and and stuff like that. And it, it's very hard for, I think, a lot of people to put themselves in that mindset of well, risking I mean, everything for the whims yeah. of what people are willing to buy. For any business, I mean... Uh my father's a FedEx employee, and uh, a lot of people don't realize that the aviation branch of FedEx stemmed from guys that, uh, I mean, were paying for gas at the gate with their own fucking credit cards. People going to Vegas and gambling while they were there and taking their winnings and putting that into the company coffers. I mean, and that's what kept FedEx afloat in its early days. It, it requires enormous the, faith. Yeah, the incredible yeah. sacrifice of of that kind of like, well, I hope I win gambling, otherwise the company's going to fold. <laughs> like, yeah. Uh, yeah, otherwise I won't be able to fly my plane. Yeah. Yeah.
Yeah. By the way, Nick, we got to get your dad on this. Oh, uh, yeah. We're going to have to do that one day. That'll be pretty funny. Nick's dad is basically an airline pilot. My father is Foghorn Leghorn. There's no Foghorn Leghorn. He is Foghorn Leghorn. Well, Nicholas, when you're flying at 400 knots, you have to understand. (laughs) It's face right now. My father. All right. There is a there is a Longhorn Steakhouse near near where I live, and it's uh, in location redacted. In location redacted, and it's on a main road, and it's a left turn off that main road. And my father came to visit us, and he rented a car. We're driving down this main road. And we're like, he's like, now where, now, Nicholas, where are we going again? And I said, Longhorn Steakhouse. And he said, okay, well, hang on. I just got to, the speed limit is 45. He's doing 20. Well, because he's one will. fucking around in the center console trying to activate this GPS to look up the, the steakhouse that is like a fucking mile ahead of us on the left. And Tex and I are like. It's it's a left like I can see that next. It's that I can you see, see it. it. We're pointing at it. We're like it. you see it right there. That's and he's like what now now hang now hang hang on hang on just wait wait just a minute. Let me put it in the and we drive right past it and we're like that was the turn back there and he's like well I I, I guess I, okay well I guess I have to make a U turn now y- yes that would be great. <laughs> I would love to get him on here. At any yeah. rate, uh, anywho, thank you. we're wildly over time now. Yeah, yeah who cares? Hey, I, I'll say this: if you want to be a fire-breathing lizard creature from hell, uh, that's perfectly fine as long as you continue to make Dwarf Fortress. There you go. I agree. <laughs> thank you for that final thought.